Would you guys give a warm orchard welcome to Jarrett and Jeannie Stevens. Let's welcome them today. What's up, guys? Thanks. So glad you're here. So glad you're here, man. <laughs> Thanks, uh, it's so good to be with you all, and we were so looking forward to this, and so it's a treat to be able to, to spend our Sunday morning with you, and thank you so much, Scott, for inviting us. And uh, a little bit about us, uh, in a few, uh, in 10 days from now, we are going to celebrate our 14th wedding anniversary. It's a big and, deal. Uh, it's a big deal. Yep. It's a big deal. The, re the reason we look so young is we got married when we were 14. So yeah, um, do the math. Yeah, the math uh, but we uh, we have two little ones. Uh, Elijah is four and a half, and Gigi is two. She's the self-professed diva, diva of the household, and I think we brought along a picture. So yeah, that's Gigi uh, flying through midair, and that's Elijah, uh, our four and a half year old, and. Uh, so we just are, are so grateful for our family, and uh, I actually grew up uh, around here. I grew up in Wheaton, and uh, so I'm a, I'm a Midwest girl by, uh, by heart, and uh, we spent 12 years up the road at a church called Willow Creek Community Church, and we got to be a part of their uh, pastoral leadership there and uh, parts of all different kinds of ministries, and it was just a, a very, very special 12 years that we got to spend there. And the last four years, we've been down in Atlanta, Georgia, and we were a part of a church uh, called North Point Community Church. Andy Stanley is the pastor. You may have heard of him, uh, and it's just a wonderful experience. And we'll tell you a little bit more about this, but about a year and a half ago, um, God just got a hold of our hearts in a very unique way and started to speak to us in a profound uh, way, and we began to go on a journey of really sensing that he was inviting us to move back into uh, Chicago, uh, despite the winters here, mm. and uh, mm. to move into the city and to start a church, uh, which you just heard about, Soul City Church. So we're going to tell you a little bit more about that journey. Uh, and it's just been an unbelievable journey of faith. In fact, we've come to a point where we believe that every person of faith deserves a great faith adventure. And so Soul City Church has really become that for us, this incredible great faith adventure. And it's, a, it's an awesome story, and we love to be able to share it. So. Yeah, we're, so just on the detail side, we're starting the church in the West Loop. If you're familiar with Chicago's West Loop, we're about three blocks south of Oprah's studios, Harpo Studios. So we're really crossing our fingers and hoping to become one of her favorite things. And, you know, <laughs> just one touch from Oprah. Um, and so, uh, so that's kind of where we're at. We live actually in Humboldt Park. So if you know anything about the neighborhoods, uh, Humboldt Park is a very, we use the word um, dynamic neighborhood. And it's uh, a neighborhood, actually, that's very uh, under-resourced. A lot of working poor folks in our neighborhood. We have a great house that God's provided for us in there, but it is dynamic, to say the least. We are clearly on the minority side in our neighborhood. And um, if you want to uh, hear fireworks at 11 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday, come to our neighborhood. Because they're just, at least we think they're fireworks. You know, now that I think about it, they may be. Anyway, the point is, uh, we live in uh, a, a great neighborhood that God has continued to open our eyes to the city. And we love this adventure that God has us on because he is writing a new story for us. And I don't know that it's a story that we uh, would be able to write on our own. In fact, I know it's not. There are parts of the story that we'd love to grab the pen and change. And yet we sense God really writing a new story for us. And we're so grateful for that because we all love great stories. And I think if we were being really honest, we would love for our life to be a great story, right? You want your life to be a great story. Maybe a story that people would actually throw down $10 on a Friday night to go see in a movie theater. I mean, if you've ever thought about that, like, would anyone want to go watch 
the story of your life Friday night at a movie theater. Maybe, maybe not. You're probably just thinking about who would play you as a lead actor. But the point is, like, we, we love stories, and we want our life to be a great story. And we don't get to go to movies much since we've had our kids now. You know, we get to the movies about once every two and a half uh, years. And so when we do get to go, it better be a good one. And so recently we went and saw the film Inception. Has anyone seen the movie Inception with Leo DiCaprio? Wow, really cool, amazing movie. And I'm not going into the details, but it's just one of those movies that we couldn't stop talking about. In fact, I think I might be in a dream right now. It's a very deep, layered story. And, and we, so we talked about it the whole ride home. What about this and what about this? Then we got home, pulled up a, <laughs> this uh, like film nerds blog and read a four-page blog, you know, try and understand what this great story, because we couldn't shake this story. It's a really great story. And that's why it's so great that we're in this parables series that we're in right here at the Orchard right now is because there's just something about great stories. They get you talking. They get you thinking, looking at things differently. Like my sense is you wouldn't drive home and talk for the next two hours about Cats and Dogs 2. Like that movie is not my hunches because I will not waste my $10 every two and a half years on that film. Probably not a great movie. Probably not a great story, right? But there are stories that capture us and stories have the power to do something in us that very few other things can do which is perhaps why Jesus told so many stories. The bulk of his teaching time on earth was spent telling stories, which is really interesting. And this morning we're going to look at just one of those stories, a story that goes in deep, that stays with us, that provokes us, that causes us not only to look at things differently, but by God's power to actually transform us to live differently. And it's a story he told 2,000 years ago, that has just as much power today in our lives as it did the moment he first told it. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 25. You're going to want to keep up with the story. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. We're going to read through a parable that's been called the parable of the talents. Maybe you've heard of this, the parable of the talents. Also called in Luke, Luke has it in Luke 19, very, a, a version of the story that Jesus told called the parable of the minas. And we'll get into kind of what some of those words mean it's a parable about really uh, something that is often very true of who we are and that Jesus really shines a light on in the story. And it's a truth about who God always is that we oftentimes miss in our assumptions about who God is. So Jesus tells this really powerful story in Matthew 25, verse, starting in verse 14, about what it looks like to leverage your life for God. What does it look like to really leverage your whole life for God? And what does it look like when we bury our lives in the soil of comfort, in the soil of fear? What happens to us? So it's a really, really powerful story. Just kind of contextually speaking, um, where this story falls, it's a couple days before Jesus' crucifixion. So we're just days away from his betrayal and arrest and ultimately his crucifixion, which would lead to the resurrection, which is why we celebrate things like baptism. But these are the final few days Jesus has on earth, and he's still telling stories. Now, if it's me, if it's me and I'm Jesus, and I only have a few days left with these disciples, I'm like, all right, do you have your list? Look at your list. Let's go through it again. Like, I would really want to make sure that they understand. He's telling stories about what life will be like once he's gone, how to live once he's physically not with them. And the Holy Spirit comes and is living in them. So that's sort of where it falls. And then this whole idea of, it, maybe it's called the parable of the bags of gold in your Bible, parable of the talents. What a talent is, is a, it's kind of a measurement, an economic term from that day. 
And basically, the equivalent is about $1,000 in our economy, give or take 2,000 years of inflation and our current economic recession. Uh, it's, a, it's about like $1,000. Or in that, in Jesus' context, when Jesus talks about a talent, because it might be what it says in your Bible, a talent was equivalent to 20 years of a day laborer's wage. So that's, that might give you a little more framework. When Jesus is telling the story, and he talks about a talent, or we'll hear five talents, two talents, one talent. It was equal to 20 years of a day laborer's wage. So kind of keep that math in the back of your head. And let's dive into this story, Matthew 25, verse 14. I'll interrupt myself a few points here and there uh, just to, to highlight some of what Jesus is teaching us in this great story. So he starts by saying again, because he's been telling the stories of what life will be like once he's physically gone. He says again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. So even in the first verse, we have a very significant moment. A man's going on a journey. We don't know the details. Jesus doesn't give it to us. But he takes his slaves, his servants, and he entrusts his property to them. So they go from being like assistant janitor to now they're full business partner with Jesus, or with the, with the story that Jesus is telling of this master. That's pretty significant. To one, he gives five talents of money. So he equivalent to a hundred years of salary. That's pretty good, right? Gives five talents of money to one, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Verse 16, the man who'd received five talents went, and what does the word say there? You can say it out loud because this helps me know you're awake. He went what? At once. At once. So he went at once. He was off and put his money to work. That's a pretty great phrase. He put his money to work. And he gained five more, verse 17. So also, the guy with two talents gained two more. Verse 18, this is where it gets interesting. But the man who received the one talent went off and did what? Dug a hole. Dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. This is a little bit of a different strategy from the first two guys. Now, given our current economic realities, not a bad strategy, is it? If you've got cash, bury it. So, uh... What he does is he takes this money and he buries it in the ground. He hides it. He sits on it. We're going to see the result of his strategy here in just a little bit. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. So there is a settling of accounts in the story that Jesus tells. He comes back to settle accounts with them. Verse 20, the man who received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. So now we have 200 years worth of salary is what he brings back to the master. Verse 21, his master replied, well done. What are the next words? Good Good and faithful faithful servant. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Well done, good and faithful servant. This is where it comes from, this story that Jesus tells. Where the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. And this next phrase is really interesting. Come and share in your master's what? Happiness. Happiness. Isn't that great? Come and share in your master's happiness. You were a slave. Now you are a partner. Now you get to share in my great happiness because you have been faithful with what I gave you. So now you get to share in my great joy, my great happiness. Verse 22, the man with two talents came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents? I've gained two more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of 
many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So this is a good moment, right? This is like the, the parade's about to begin. They've got the confetti guns ready to launch. Like, what a day for this master and his servants who are now partners with him. They have, you know, literally doubled his net worth. They've literally doubled his net worth. Everything's going great. Everything's awesome. Then verse 24. Then the man who received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not gathered seed or scattered seed. I'm going to pause right there. This is more of an agricultural phrase. Maybe you use this every day. I'm not exactly sure. Basically what he's saying is here is, I know you're a tough guy to deal with. I know that you're probably connected to the road repair work in Illinois. <laughs> I know that your business dealings are not always on the up and up. That's what he's saying to the master in the story, that you gather where you have not scattered seed. Basically, you steal and exploit from others. This is an insult that a, that a slave would never say to a master. But this is what he's saying in this story. I know that you're a difficult man. I know that you're corrupt. Verse 25, so I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. <laughs> then he has the audacity after insulting his master to say, see, here, here it is. You know, like dusting the dirt off of it, and there's like a weed hanging from it. Here it is, here it is. It's fresh from the ground. I brought it right back mm. to you. The tone of the party changes in an instant. Verse 26, his master replies, not well done, good and faithful servant, but what? You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed, huh? Well then, you should have put your money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I'd have at least received it back with a little interest. Like a 90-day CD would have been better than this. Opening up a savings account at Bank of America and getting cute little puppy dog checks would have been better than this. Verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. Verse 29, for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. See, there's a settling of accounts. Verse 30, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How many of you have ever heard that phrase before? This is where it comes from as well. This is a very intense ending to the story. We have this great story of these guys who've doubled their master's worth. They were servants. They were slaves. They were nobodies. They were then given the title of business partners, and they doubled their master's worth. But then we see someone who, based on his fear and assumption, hid what was given to him and had nothing to show in return. And Jesus is incredibly comfortable with the theological tension that this story leaves us in. Because he basically says, that person who wastes their life, get rid of them. Throw them out. Now we like, when we give sermons and when Scott's up here, we like to wrap things up in a nice sort of bow. And, you know, we all kind of like to go out in our way. Not Jesus. He just drops the microphone and walks off. Like, deal with that. <laughs> That's some heavy truth I just dropped on you. And then he's just off to the next story, right? That's pretty <laughs> incredible that he's really comfortable with that. But it leaves us in a wonderful tension to examine our own life about the truth of who we might be in the story 
and the truth of who God actually is. Yeah, and when we look at a story like this, you know, we, we try to read the story and we try to listen to what Jesus is saying and, and we think, okay, who am I in the story? You know, what, what might Jesus be actually saying to me? What does this parable actually have to say about my own life? And if you're anything like me, I want to think about myself as the, I'd like to think about myself as the king, giving away all the stuff. Yeah. But if I'm really honest, I like to, you know, if, if I think about myself in the servants and I go, okay, if I were like that, I would want to be like the one with the five talents that went out and said, okay, I'm going to leverage all that I've been given and I'm going to leverage it so that I can see it become more. Or, or like the second dude that, that had the two, I'm going to leverage these two talents. I'm going to leverage these resources so that they can become more. None of us would want to think about ourselves like the third guy, would we? the one that went out and buried it in the ground. But if I'm really honest and I look at my resources, I look at the things that <clears throat> have been given to me, the things that God has entrusted into my life and that he's asked me to leverage, things like my time or things like my financial resources, things like experiences that I've had, when I think about those things, oftentimes I actually tend to, to look at myself and I go, gosh, I'm more like that television show, Hoarders. Like, I, I look at my things and I try to keep them to myself. I, I don't try to look at the things that I have and, and leverage them for God. I try to look at my stuff and go, okay, how can, I, how can I keep it for me? How can I make sure I don't lose it? Like, with my time. Some of you might understand this. I look at like my 24 hours every single day and I'm like, if I'm lucky, I'm going to lose seven of it or at least eight to sleep. I really need that. <laughs> you know, and I've got maybe 17 left and I go, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to get this done? How am I going to do this with my kids? How am I going to make sure I'm a good wife? How am I going to make sure, you know, I'm, I'm starting a church to do all that, you know, my work, my, my other, you know, things that have to get done. And I look at my time as my time. I look at it as my 17 hours instead of going, I got 17 hours, 17 hours to be leveraged for the glory of God. What can I do in 17 hours? And I tend to think about it as mine, instead of going, how can I give this more to the work of God? Or maybe it's with resources, you know, and, and, and I tend to go, okay, it, well, if, if, of course, if I had more like what she has, well, then, of course, I could give away more. Or if I had as much as he had in his bank account, or if I, or if I had, you know, just a plethora of, of cars and boats and homes and this and that, well, then, of course, I could give away more. But I only have this much, so I'm, I, can't, I just can't give. And, and maybe you play that sort of comparison game with your stuff. And your stuff is your stuff. And the thing that you want to do is just like the third guy in the story. I got to go bury it in the ground. Instead of going, how can I see it doubled or tripled or quadrupled for the sake of God and what he is at work doing here in this world? I think Jeannie's right. I think my own personal excuses and all the reasons why I don't trust God more to, to say, okay, how can you use even this, God, even this, even this? I don't have a lot in the bank, <laughs> and we are living in a season where we've never had this little in the bank, and yet we go, okay, God, how? How can we leverage even this? How can we use this? How can we use our time? And I think the reason I don't often is my excuses are, are actually more connected to my assumptions about God. Ultimately, it probably comes back to the fact that I don't really trust Him, or that I don't think He really is interested or cares or like cares about the, the details, right? Because we probably fall into two camps is 
for a lot of us, you probably just think, look, here's the deal, right? Like, the stuff that God cares about is, is you know, uh, do like a, go to church, maybe do some stuff around the church, a small group or something like that, have a quiet time, um, maybe drop a little in the tip jar when it gets passed by, you know, don't do thing, anything so egregiously evil that it ends up on TMZ or whatever, like, it's kind of like play by the rules, under the radar, and then God doesn't really care about the rest because it doesn't really matter to him. He's got bigger fish to fry, you know what I mean? It's like, so the way that I spend my time or the way that I spend my money or the way that we have this house, the way that we have these cars or, you know, whatever it is, God doesn't really care. So I can kind of do whatever I want as long as I sort of do, you know, the, the things that I think he wants me to do. Just, that's, for many of us, maybe that's just your assumption. God just doesn't get involved in the details. It's really up to us, right? Or for others, maybe you fall on the other side of the pendulum where you go, you know, ultimately, your thing is you just don't trust that God is good. And your assumption is that he's going to take it away from you. Or that he's going to want you to do something that you don't want to do with it. It's like, why would I want to follow God? I have to give up all the stuff I like. He's going to make me go to Africa. He's going to make me give money at church. He's going to make me you know, do all this stuff. And so we live in a fear of a God that we assume is stingy, that lacks generosity, hmm. that is more interested in sort of uh, taking our stuff than in giving to us and blessing us. So I think often my excuses, maybe yours too, are wrapped up in ultimately our assumptions of what we believe to be true hmm. about God. And could it be? <laughs> What Jesus is also teaching us, not only about ourselves in this story, is the truth of who God is. That he is a God who, against all good economic policy, takes servants and makes them business partners. Takes people like me who deserve nothing and says, look, I'm entrusting you. I'm entrusting you. I'm blessing you. I'm giving to you. I am more generous than you could possibly imagine. And that everything in your life is actually a gift from me. From the breath in your lungs to the clothes on your back to the fact that you have a car that you can drive home to to the fact that you have a home that you can park that car in and the fact that you will probably enjoy food in that house or at Chili's or wherever it is that you go today. The fact is you are more blessed because I am more generous than you could even possibly imagine. I take people who deserve nothing and I give them everything they have. And for those who can see that as God's goodness, we are invited into a new adventure of leveraging our life for him. That we actually get to share in his happiness. When we take what he's given us and go, okay God, what can I do? To believe that God has actually made you more courageous and more creative than to simply be a consumer in this world. God loves you too much to let you settle for that. That he has made you more courageous than you even know and more, courageous, or more creative than you even can believe than to simply settle for being a consumer and burying your life either for fear or assuming that God doesn't care and ultimately at the end of the day, wasting your life and having a pretty boring story. What if God is inviting you into the adventure of leveraging, courageously and creatively leveraging all that he's already given you for his glory, for the highest return possible? Yeah, and 
And as we said uh, just a few moments ago, we've been on one of those faith journeys uh, over the last few years. And uh, well, really over the last year and a half, about a year and a half ago, both of us started getting this sense when we were praying and when we were talking with one another that God was asking us to, to leverage our lives in ways that we hadn't before. And we loved our life. It was a great life. We had a wonderful church, wonderful friends, uh, just a, a beautiful home that we had just built, and uh, our kids were going to great schools, and, and everything about our life felt good and comfortable and wonderful. And insert God into the story, and it got very uncomfortable right away. Because we both started to pray and we both started to sense that God was beginning to say to us, I have something more for you. And in the process of those prayers uh, and in the process of seeking wise counsel and, and listening to uh, good mentors and, and fasting, we both heard very clearly that God was asking us to start a church in downtown Chicago. And it was one of those things, you know, we couldn't shake it. For those of you that have ever had those situations where you know that God is asking you to do something and all you want to do is not do it, and you're like, I know he's going to find me if I don't, you know? Like, this is an act of obedience. And that's what it became for us to start Soul City Church. It was an act of obedience. And so that meant lots of steps of leaving comfort for the sake of courage. Steps like walking into wonderful employers at our church and saying, we love it here, it's so great, but here's a resignation letter and that thing that you put into our bank account every two weeks, yeah, you don't have to do that anymore. And, well, you can, yeah, Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, those things that you give us, those, those things called benefits, yes, we are giving those back and uh, putting our house up on the market and down economy, you know, and, and all these things and just going, okay, God, we're going to trust you, we're going to trust you, we're going to trust you. We're going to step into more levels of courage, more levels of faith, more levels of trust. Things that we don't have answers to, we're going to continue to pray. Things that don't seem like they're ever going to be possible, we're just going to continue to have hope, continue to have trust that it is you that has called us to do this. And it's been an unbelievable faith adventure. And one of those really cool things, we were having dinner with Scott last night, and he said, I bet you just have stories upon stories of like, ways that God has provided and, and ways that he has blessed. And I'm like, we do. Like, we could just talk for hours of the miracles. And one of the coolest ones that just happened a couple weeks ago, about nine months ago, uh, we flew up here. We hadn't moved yet. We just moved here this spring. And we flew up here, and an old friend of ours introduced us to a gentleman by the name of John Searles. We were in the process of looking for a space where we could have our weekend gatherings when we launched this fall. And uh, John is a owner of a large warehouse in the West Loop of Chicago, the neighborhood where we were starting. And part of his warehouse had this like dingy, dark, sort of like, you know, hadn't been really kept up kind of thing. And in our minds, we're like, well, maybe he'll give us, you know, the worst part of the building. And, you know, maybe he'll like throw in a little bit of plumbing or something like that. And he'll, he'll lower the, <laughs> the lease a bit, you know, and we can at least do like makeshift 
church on Sunday mornings. Like, you know, it'll be like a step up from a missions trip. And, um, <laughs> a small step. And, and so, you know, we just started, you know, hoping, and we had, had breakfast with John. And, and after that first breakfast last year, we both got this sense that we were supposed to go back to, to the intersection where this building was. And it was at the corner of Adams and Aberdeen, for those of you that uh, know Chicago well. And it's right in the West Loop. And, and we both just had this sense that we were supposed to pray for the space. And so we did. We, we just started praying and asking God that he would work in John's life and that he would work in ours. And that's a picture of, of the building. And right you can see the Sears Tower in the background. And, uh, and so we just started praying for it. And for nine months, we've been praying for the corner of Adams and Aberdeen, uh, that God would somehow move, and John, and his, he owns it with uh, six other family members, that they would move in their hearts, and they might want to you know, lower the, the rent uh, in such a way that we might be able to afford it. And uh, a few weeks ago, uh, John sent us an email and said, hey, could you, could you get together? I wanted to chat with you about the space. And uh, it was on... Uh, June 31st, and, and we had privately been praying that God would give us an answer by July 1st, that we would know where we were going to meet as a church this October when we start having services. And so John and I sat down in a Starbucks in downtown Chicago on July 1st, and he said, you know, I just wanted to let you know, my family members and I, we've been praying, and, and we've just been thinking about this space and the best way that it can be leveraged and, and the best use of it. In fact, what we've decided is we want to actually give you the other end of the building, the 22,000 square feet that are already developed, that already have walls, that already have bathrooms, uh, that already has running electricity. And for the next two years, we want to give that to you lease-free. And, uh, and while I was sitting, while I was sitting in that Starbucks, I mean, I, I just started saying to myself, don't cry, don't cry, you're going to make this seem really weird. And then just, I just started bawling, <laughs> you know, and I was like, I need to hug you. And, you know, I just <laughs> grabbed him across the table and it's just, I mean, it was one of those moments where I literally was sitting across from somebody that had been given five talents, and mm -hmm. he leveraged it for the sake of the fully. kingdom fully in unbelievable ways. He said, God, look what you've given to me. How can I give it back to you for the sake yeah, of people amazing. knowing Jesus and being in a transforming relationship with him in the city of Chicago? He took what he had, and he used it for God's glory. Yep. And you hear a story like that, and you think, wow, that's amazing. I mean, it's 22,000 square feet, three blocks Downtown from Oprah, Chicago. okay? Think about Oprah's bank account right now. He lives really close to her, okay? This is unbelievable space that he's just said, here you go. Love people in the name of Jesus, okay? Do a great job. How can, how can I bless and help and support he leveraged all of what God has given him. And it's amazing. It's, it's miraculous. And it's just as miraculous as the story of our dear friend who's a single mom. And I know what's in her bank account. I know the struggles that she has faced and how hard she works every single day. She's putting two kids through college. Mm -hmm. And every single month she sends us $25 so that she can be a part of the story of what God is doing through Soul City Church. Yeah. She is leveraging all of what God has given to her. She is leveraging all of the resources that have been given to her for the sake of the kingdom. Hmm. And it's just as beautiful. Hmm. 22,000 square feet for free <laughs> and $25 going into a bank account. Mm -hmm. 
It's just as beautiful. And the reason it's just as beautiful is because it's being leveraged for the sake of God. And they're looking at it not as their own, Mm -hmm. but as just resources to move around. We've had a dear friend uh, last Christmas. Uh, we, uh, we had already stepped into that first step of obedience, and we had resigned from our jobs. And, um, and so it was sort of our first, like, oh, wow, like Christmas is going to be a little different this year. And a friend of ours came over, and it still blows my mind, um, came over and said, hey, I just wanted to give you guys a gift to be able to buy your kids some Christmas presents this year. And he said, a, he said a phrase to me that I've never forgotten. He said, I just want to let you know, this isn't my money. This is God's money. And I'm just moving it around for him. <laughs> he's just given it to me, and he's asked me to move it around for him. And so this year, I'm just moving it in your corner. And so, you know, when it's right and it's the right time, you just move it for the sake of him. And it takes an unbelievable willingness to step out of comfort and to move into courage to do things like that. The person that gave us the Christmas gifts, John, who gave us the building, and our dear friend, who sends $25 every month. Those are people moving from comfort to courage. They are leveraging what God has given to them for the sake of him. And early on in the process of us uh, knowing that we were going to start this church, uh, we both had lots of moments where we just craved all that was comfortable about our lives and didn't really want to leave it for the sake of courage. And one day in my journal, I just sat down and I started to write what I was feeling about the process of leaving comfort for courage. And and I took it from my journal and brought it with me here this morning. I just want to read to you somewhat what I think it often feels like when God is calling us to forsake comfort for courage. Leaving comfort for courage will always require an element of leaving, and leaving is just plain hard. When my four-year-old knows that I'm about to leave, he will often squeeze as hard as he can around my neck to lovingly manipulate me into staying one more minute. I know how he feels, because leaving comfort for courage makes me want to wrap my arms around every ounce of safety in my life, hoping that if I hold on tight enough, that I won't have to taste the pain of leaving what I know is inevitable. Leaving comfort and safety looks and sounds alluring and attractive, but the attraction fades quickly. In fact, I have never felt so vulnerable, small, and needy. Words that are not known for their alluring appeal. Moving from comfort to courage will cause you to question your decision. It'll cause you to look around for the safety bars, the seatbelts, and any kind of security button. Moving from comfort to courage will cause you to try and make something happen, to scheme, to make phone calls, send out Hail Mary emails, anything to distract from sitting in the fear. Moving from comfort to courage will cause you to doubt your abilities, You'll look at everything that you have failed at in the past. Failed relationships, failed financial decisions, failed leadership calls. And you will wonder, will you repeat those patterns and are they indicators to go out and look for comfort again? Moving from comfort to courage will cause you to doubt the author of the calling on your life, thinking that God is far too busy to take care of your little fear. 
Moving from comfort to courage will cause you to be jealous of your neighbors who seem to be perfectly content with their lives. You'll wonder if you are just some sort of crazy person that has an unhealthy propensity to live on the edge. Moving from comfort to courage will cause you to look for the easy way out. Moving from comfort to courage will cause you to pray like never before, wonder if you know any scriptures to cast out the inner demon of doubt. Moving from comfort to courage will cause you to white-knuckle yourself around anything that feels secure and semi-safe, even though you know that earthly security and safety is a mirage, and the place where Jesus is is most where you want to be. Moving from comfort to courage will cause you to feel weak in the knees, which is a good indicator that you should stop standing up and get on your knees. Moving from comfort to courage will cause others to question you, especially those that have found security to be a bedrock to build their lives on. You will be misunderstood, questioned, and perhaps even seen as foolish. So today, God, I feel every one of those fears. I'm terrified, straight up terrified. I'm calling out to you to be the voice of truth and freedom. Tell me to settle down, to trust you, and to release every one of these fears into your arms of faith. I know it is impossible to invite others into a life of obedience if I'm unable to live it myself. So today I am re-upping my commitment to obey, to be faithful, and to move from comfort to courage. Yeah, that really is the, <clears throat> the invitation that God is, we feel very clearly is given to us, but it's not just to us, it's to every person who knows him is to um to trade in to leverage what we assume will bring us comfort so that we can experience god's great joy and freedom and purpose and meaning that comes when we leverage our life for him and i I'm just wouldn't surprise me if god was messing with you right now <laughs> through his story that he told two thousand years ago through what God's doing in our life right now, and through things that you are running through in your brain right now going, I wonder if God would want me to leverage this for him. I wonder what I can, how I can repurpose this for him. And so to kind of help us leave here at least heading in the same direction, because it'll look different for every one of us, right? Some of us have five talents, some of us have two, some of us have one, some of us feel like we have one-sixteenth of a talent. Like whatever it is, we can at least be heading in the same direction when we leave here today. So we're going to put a couple questions up on the screen. I want you to think about your life and all that God has provided for you and what it might look like to leverage that courageously and creatively for him. So the first thing to think about is what do you have? Just think about it. I mean, just run through your assets, right? You've got to do this when you do your taxes or whatever. Let's just think about it. What do you have? What do you have? Home, car, boat, job, time. Well, I, I don't even know. You do, though. What do you have? Second question is what can you do? What, maybe you have a skill or a gift or ability that really, truly you didn't know you could leverage for God and get a higher return than, than just sitting on it. And then third, who do you know? Maybe you know some people, you're connected to people. We, this has been so fun for us in the adventure of starting Soul City Church. The reason we know that guy, John, who gave us the warehouse is because of our friend Dave we've known for 15 years. And Dave took a risk and said, I think you need to talk to my friend, John. So maybe you know some folks that you go, okay, let me think about sort of the connections, the relationships, the opportunities God's given me. You do a big assessment of those today. 
you do a big assessment of those this weekend, and then you ask this follow-up question to those three, is where did all of that come from? What I have, what I can do, who I know, what I know, where did all of that come from? And if I believe that all of that is a gift from a good and generous God who can be trusted, who takes servants and slaves like me and makes us partners with him, then finally you have to ask the question, how can I be courageous and creative to leverage that, all of that, my life, all of it for God? What would that look like? What would that look like for you? Because this is where it gets really fun because all of our life, for most of our life, and still to this day, there's such a fear of letting go of that stuff, of repurposing that stuff. But it gets so much more fun to, like that's in, you're sharing in God's happiness. What would that look like for you to share in his happiness, to leverage your life? Now, I don't even know what it looks like. It, it, may, it may be as radical as, hey, I don't think we need to live in this big of a home anymore. And what if we took what we were putting towards that and we were able to support some folks who are doing great work here in Aurora or great work around the world? Or, hey, I don't think we need to have this many cars. We just don't. And so maybe we can do that, or we can live without this, or I can take this and give it to someone who needs it more than we do. And I can take that and get a higher return on it than what it's worth on earth, because I've now leveraged it for God. Maybe it means around here, you, you think of the orchard, you know, I bet, I bet if you were to ask Scott and the leadership team, are all the volunteer positions filled? My hunch is they'd probably say no, just Maybe. And so you have time, you have special gifts and abilities, talents that you've been sitting on and burying, to be really honest. And what would it look like for you to say, you know what, I'm going to step up. It's going to cost me some time, it's going to cost me some energy, but the return on that to share in God's happiness is worth it. To financially be consistent, to joyfully give here. That's what it means to joyfully give, because you go, it's not my money, it's God's, I'm just moving it around. Maybe, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say this since we're starting the church, Maybe you have a special connection to the city of Chicago. And you, you know how few good churches there are in that city. How important that city is. And you have a, a, a friend there or a relative who lives there or a co-worker there. Or maybe you know a crooked politician there. Who uh, <coughs> I'm just saying. Um, that you go, you know what? I would love to be a part of leveraging these things that I have to help this church get started. And we're doing a thing actually in a couple weeks. I'm just, as our little commercial here, since we have the mic, we're doing a partnership with a ministry called Breakthrough Urban Ministry, which is, we think, one of the best in the city that really helps transition uh, homeless men and women into a transformed and sort of really, truly sustainable life in the city. They do incredible work. And so we're partnering with them in a thing that we call Have a Seat, Give a Seat, where we're selling the seats for our gathering space that we have in the city that we showed you the pictures of. And so for $60... Uh, you get to buy a, a, a seat that goes in our room and a seat that goes in Breakthrough Urban Ministries' new room in the city. It's just a pretty cool deal that, like, you get to be a small part of leveraging a little bit to have a place for people to gather and experience and meet God at Soul City Church and for people to have their lives be transformed by the love of God through Breakthrough Urban Ministries. That's a small thing. That's one thing. Maybe you want to buy a row or a section of seats. Please talk to us. So the point is, the point is, God has blessed you more than you're even potentially even aware of. Well, my sense is God has completely blessed you more than you're aware of, because I know that to be true of our life. 
And God, in his loving kindness, expects more of you than to simply sit on this life. Mm. In his loving kindness, he has created you for more than that. He has made you more creative and more courageous than to simply be a consumer. And what if a little revolution begins in your life, in your family this weekend, where you say, you know what? God, what do you want to do with all this? Thank you, and what do you want to do with it? And I want to pray for us towards that end, that God will give you great courage and great creativity, and then you continue to do it for us, because we continue to face fear and desire comfort and want to control this thing on a regular basis. And so I'm going to pray for us right now, and then we're just going to live in a prayer where we say that to God, that we want to surrender all of who we are to him. So let's pray together right now. God, thank you that it's a story that you told that now is reverberating inside of our souls. Jesus, it's a story you told 2,000 years ago, and it's still messing with us Thank you for your transformational truth that grabs a hold of our lives and points us towards you, a God who can be trusted. Because you take folks like us who know that we don't deserve a single thing, and you bring us on board, you bring us into your family, and you lavish our lives with gifts if we would have eyes to see. And so now give us hearts, God. Give us hearts to move to look at all that you've provided for us, everything we have, everything we can do, anyone we might know, and to say, okay, God, it's all from you. Here I am, God. Here I am. All of who I am. How can I leverage all of that for all of who you are? I pray that literally things would begin to change in this church, in our lives, in our city, God, that we would see folks say, you know, I just... I would rather have the happiness of God than the comforts of this world. I would rather delight myself in your great joy, God, than to bury my life in the ground for fear Hmm. of losing it all or not being in control or whatever it may be. God, loosen our grip, dig up, unearth what we've buried and kept away from you. We want to bring it all to you, God. Here we are, all of who we are, for all of who you are. We love you, and choose to trust you. In your name, because of your great love. Amen.